0: Hello, and welcome to Mr. Benson's Extraordinarium. This episode, I have a story about a missed opportunity that would have global ramifications that still resonate to this day. I have a twisted and pitiful tale of love. Hmm, perhaps not love, but obsession, or possibly something worse. And I have a tale of miraculous survival. Our first story takes us to Marquois, France on the 28th of September, 1918, where a lone German soldier stumbles through the battlefield after a day of particularly intense fighting. A figure begins to emerge out of the smoke and mist, heading in his direction. As the figure comes into focus, he realises it's a British private and he has his rifle raised and the German in his gun sights. This wasn't just any British private. Henry Tandy was a fierce and highly decorated soldier. He was a career soldier rather than a conscript and had enlisted into the Greenhouse Regiment in August 1910, almost four years before the outbreak of the Great War. He participated in several famous battles including the Battle of Ypres, the Battle of the Somme where he was wounded, and the Battle of Passchendaele, where he was wounded again. After being transferred to the Duke of Wellington's West Riding Regiment, Tandy was placed in charge of a number of different bombing raids on the German trenches. On one occasion, he and two others ran across no man's land under heavy fire and bombed a trench, taking 20 prisoners in the process. For this, he was awarded the Distinguished Conduct Medal, and was later awarded the Military Medal after rescuing a number of wounded soldiers while under fire, and the following day, capturing yet more prisoners after another bombing raid on the German positions. He was also awarded the Victoria Cross after his platoon was held back by machine gun fire, and he crawled up to the gun position and took it out. Later that same day, he led a bayonet charge that drove 37 German soldiers towards his company. During the fighting, he was wounded again, twice. This event took place on the 28th of September 1918, the day the bedraggled and, according to most accounts, unarmed German soldier wandered out of the mist and into his line of fire. The two battle-weary men looked at each other for a tense moment. The German soldier would later recount in 1938, quote, That man came so near to killing me that I thought I should never see Germany again. But instead, Tandy felt compelled to lower his weapon and gestured to the battle-weary German soldier to go. The German soldier nodded in acknowledgement and thanks before walking away. Tandy would, as I said, be awarded the Victoria Cross after the war in 1919 for, quote, "'Conspicuous bravery and initiative.' and the German soldier would recognise Tandy in a newspaper article, which he took a clipping of and kept. The artist Fortunino Mantania had painted a scene of battle at Menon Crossroads in 1914. The painting was commissioned by the Green Howards and supposedly depicts Henry Tandy carrying a wounded fellow soldier on his back. The German soldier would later become aware of this painting and was able to track it down and obtain it, which is how this story came to light. In 1938, a visitor from England noticed the painting on the German soldier's wall and inquired about it. The German soldier, or should I say former German soldier by this stage, recounted the tale of how his life was spared that day by the man who would become the most decorated private of World War I. The former German soldier by this stage was quite well known himself. A household name, in fact. The British visitor he regaled with this story after asking about the painting was none other than Prime Minister Neville Chamberlain, the former German soldier who was spared that day. His name was Adolf Hitler. Born by the name of George Carl Tansler in Dresden in the year 1877, Carl Tansler went by several different aliases during his life, including periods where he gave himself the title of Count. Tansler claimed that as a child, he was haunted by dreams of what he believed was a long dead female ancestor who would continually show him visions of a dark haired woman that would become his one true love. Tansler had the traveler's itch As a young man, he travelled to India, then Australia. His intention was to carry on to the South Sea Islands, but his brief stay became an extended stay, and at the beginning of the Great War, being a German national, he was put in an internment camp and later moved to Trial Bay Jail. At the end of the war, he returned home, married a woman named Doris Schaefer, and had two daughters, one of whom passed away from diphtheria the grief experienced at the loss of a child may have some bearing on his future activities. In 1926, he emigrated to the United States to be near his sister in Florida. He was joined by his young family, but soon abandoned them and took a job at a marine hospital in Key West, eventually working his way up to radiology technician. It was during this time that he met Maria Elena Milagro de Hoyas, Helen, a Cuban-American woman suffering tuberculosis. Tansler was immediately struck by her features. He believed he had met the woman shown to him in his childhood visions and he was going to do everything in his power to save her. Not that that amounted to a great deal as he had no formal medical training. He ingratiated himself with Elena's family and began stealing medicines and equipment from work to treat her though with his lack of medical knowledge, it's entirely possible he was doing more harm than good. Tansler eventually professed his love for Elena, but Elena rebuffed his advances. Carl was married, Elena had an estranged husband of her own, and though not so unusual at this time in history, there was a 30-year age gap between them. This didn't deter him, though. He continued to try and help, and all the while, showered her with gifts and periodically made proposals of marriage despite being repeatedly rejected sadly within a year elena succumbed to the disease tansler paid for her funeral building an above-ground mausoleum for her which seemed like a grand gesture but tansler had an ulterior motive he kept the key and visited elena every night and could be heard to sing her a spanish love song all the while secretly injecting her it is alleged with formaldehyde to keep her looking as lifelike as possible after two years his visits abruptly stopped and people figured he'd finally recovered from his grief the real reason however would be uncovered some seven years later Tansler had been rumored to have purchased women's clothing and jewelry and was witnessed through a window dancing one evening with a life-size doll Something wasn't right at the Tansler house, and the rumours prompted Elena's sister Florinda to pay Tansler a visit. Tansler apparently was hesitant to let her in the house, but Florinda pushed past him, and upon entering his bedroom, she found Elena's corpse laid out on Tansler's bed. It seems Tansler's visits to the mausoleum stopped abruptly because he no longer needed to go there to be with her anymore. One night, he simply took Elena back to his place, in a child's toy wagon, of all things. He would later claim that Elena's spirit had spoken to him and told him to do so. To forestall decomposition, he had stuffed the body with rags. He had used plaster of Paris and pieces of silk soaked in wax to replace the skin, had replaced the eyes with two glass eyes, and was masking the smell, as best he could, with perfume and disinfectant. Apparently, there was even a tube incorporated into the lower half of the body, the purpose of which I'll leave to your imagination. Looking at this through modern eyes, most people would be quite disturbed or at least a tad unsettled by this story. But when it came to light, you may be surprised to learn, that Tansler had fantastic support from the public, especially from women who saw him as a man so in love he was simply unable to let go, and he certainly wasn't able to let go. He was even working on an airship so that he could travel with Elena to the stratosphere in the hope that, quote, radiation from outer space could penetrate Elena's tissues and restore life to her somnolent form, end quote, though her body by that stage may have been somewhat past even the restorative powers of the cosmos. A witness to the body before it was buried a second time said, quote, I've never been able to forget that sight. It didn't even look like a human anymore. So much reconstruction and decay. It was the scariest thing I've ever seen. Her face was an odd whitish colour that looked more like a wax dummy than a woman's face. And she had horrible black staring glass eyes. I still dream about that sight. End quote. Tanzler received no sentence as the statute of limitations had expired and anyone who was building a spaceship to take the scant remains of a long decayed corpse into the stratosphere so cosmic radiation can bring them back to life is clearly not playing with a full deck. He moved to Pasco County in 1944 where he lived out the remaining eight years of his life in the company of a life-sized effigy of Elena. He had constructed from her death mask Some of you may be old enough to recall a horrific naval accident off the coast of Nantucket in 1956 involving two ocean liners named the Stockholm and the Andrea Doria respectively Both ships were steaming through thick fog and while they used their foghorns and were tracking one another with radar unfortunately Both ships misinterpreted what they were seeing on their radar screens and, feeling confident that they weren't at risk of collision, failed to communicate by radio. By the time the two ships made visual contact, it was too late. At ten minutes past eleven on the 26th of July 1956, despite a last-minute reversal of engines and evasive manoeuvres, the Stockholm ploughed into the side of the Andrea Doria. The Stockholm was an icebreaker and travelled over 40 feet or 12 metres into the inside of the Andrea Doria before the impact pushed her back out again, killing 51 people, 46 on the Andrea Doria and 5 on the Stockholm. The story made headlines and was broadcast on radio and television news services around the world. One of those news services being ABC in the United States. The presenter who was to go to air with the details was a man named Edward Morgan, and Edward Morgan went to air and reported on the story, his composure never betraying to the audience or his fellows in the newsroom, that Edward Morgan had a 14-year-old daughter named Linda, and Linda was on board the Andrea Doria, and among the missing, presumed dead. But Edward Morgan's stoicism isn't the most extraordinary part of this story. Linda had survived. And the reason she wasn't counted among the survivors on the Andrea Doria was because she wasn't on the Andrea Doria anymore. She was on the Stockholm. When the two ships collided, Linda had been in bed asleep. The bow of the Stockholm had reached into the Andrea Doria as far as the cabin of the sleeping girl, scooped her up, and taken her back out with it. Linda Morgan had gone to sleep in her bed in a cabin in the Andrea Doria and woken up, in the same bed, on the bow of the Stockholm. When the story broke of the miracle girl who survived the accident, Edward Morgan went back on air, this time openly discussing his roller coaster of emotions. Sadly, Linda's half-sister and stepfather were killed in the collision, and Linda Morgan suffered with survivor's guilt. Nonetheless, her survival is an extraordinary tale. Some might even say miraculous. You've been listening to Mr. Benson's Extraordinarium. Created, researched, and hosted by me, Dan Benson. If you enjoyed the show, hit the subscribe button and continue to join me as I uncover extraordinary stories from around the globe and throughout history. Till next time, peace, love, light. Take care. Catch ya.